0: Hi there. This is Wafala Bedat. You are listening to the Woman Power Podcast, a subsidiary platform to the Woman Power Summit, the largest event in MENA, with the aim of empowering women and helping them achieve their absolute highest potential. Each week on the Woman Power Podcast, you will hear honest, vulnerable, authentic, real conversations from inspiring women. These women will share their experiences and stories into what it takes to build a successful business and career. The podcast. Will share insight and inspiration and hopefully inspire action and lead change.
1: Dr. Malia Hashmi is a prominent health leader of KSA, winner of the prestigious Forbes Health Leadership Award 2022, and a C level healthcare executive. She is also known for being a public speaker, WEF Global Future Council expert, WE20 delegate of G20, and an author. She's also part of the World Leaders Award recipients. She's is one of the top seven most talented female health leaders of the MENA region. She also served as a board member of the prestigious Advisory Board for Arab Health, the largest multidisciplinary congress in the MENA region, along with also serving for the leading expert and council member for the prestigious Global Future Council in Health and Healthcare at the World Economic Forum. Malia Hashmi is listed as one of the top 20 women in the nation in the United States for her achievements making it into the Who's Who in America's list.
2: Welcome, Maliha. Hi, Maliha. How are you? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm doing really well, and it's a pleasure to be here today. I'm very excited to connect with all of you. Where in the world are you right now? I'm at the moment in Cake, King of the Economic City. It's a beautiful city they've created re- really close to Jeddah. It's by the seashore, so it's, I recently have bought a place here. It's really nice and very peaceful So it helps me my trajectory of writing thought leadership pieces. So it's a lot of fun to be around here, specifically on the weekends.
0: I'd love to start from the very beginning, Maliha. But before I do that, I just want to ask you about your experience with COVID. I know that uh, different people dealt with it in different ways. Can you give me
2: like an executive summary on how you've handled it? Sure. Uh, COVID has been a very, I guess, a very different experience for every single individual. It's brought on the positives and the negatives in terms of what was happening in the world. But the, po- the you know, the positive that I see in what COVID brought was it brought a lot of deeper understanding of mindfulness for a lot of people across the world. And it made us more connected virtually and socially to people we never thought we should remain connected to. And initially it was, you know, very scary for everyone, myself included, of what would be happening, you know, and how will we handle it. But I actually got on to a very important role of helping develop regulations as as it was happening within the workplace where I was at, and actually trying to figure out how we can continue to work peacefully and securely and safely, and at the same time have everyone have the peace of mind that they are in a safe and secure place where they're connected to their loved ones. So I became in essence a frontline worker. And I was, you know, an executive director of NEOM at that time for health and well-being, but I was also in charge of all the COVID services that were happening there in terms of ensuring safety for the employees and making sure that they can work, but at the same time have the mental stability to feel safe and secure and connected to their loved ones. So mental health and mental well-being became a very important part of the whole story of COVID for everyone and myself included, where you have to stay connected to your loved ones and at the same time have a great balance of work and personal life so that we're able to manage our day-to-day needs, but at the same time, your excellence in terms of the work that's required. So overall, it's been a very interesting experience, to say the least, because I did a lot of writing then. And I'll talk about a book that came out of it, uh, which is soon to be released, which I actually started writing at the start of the pandemic. Uh, One of the things that I do and I do a lot is I do a lot of writing. And it's also cathartic for me. So for me, I do on the side poetry, but I also write books and a lot of articles. And that's when I started writing this book. And I'll discuss it in detail later. But it sort of now has materialized into something that I never thought at that time, that I was writing a book, but I was just writing notes of every day of how everything was shaping and it, it all sort of you know, materialize into something much more valuable.
0: You're a double Harvard graduate. What was that experience like?
2: Harvard has got to be one of the most meaningful and most powerful experiences I've had so far in my life, uh, to say the least. Um, you can take a person out of Harvard, but you can never take Harvard out of out of a person. Harvard always stays with you as an experience and. It's been such a multifaceted and enlightening experience for me because I felt globally connected to some of the most amazing people around the world. And I had every single resource of connectivity and brilliance in one place. So the type of education that I received through there and the experiences of working alongside such amazing people and leaders was an experience I can never forget. And it's something that stays with me wherever I go. So wherever I go, Harvard is within me. And it's been an experience where I have learned so much on so many different levels, because even though my education was very much focused on one area, Harvard gave me the opportunity to do a lot of cross disciplines. So I actually didn't just go to Harvard Law School. I went to Harvard Graduate School of Arts and Sciences. I went to Harvard Kennedy School. I went to Harvard Medical School, I went to Harvard Law School, and I went to the General Harvard University. So within Harvard, I was able to take as many course trainings and courses within my field of study as possible. So my breadth of knowledge became very extensive, which has really helped me, I guess, in my career trajectory because I was able to sort of mix and match all the things that I was passionate about and take those trainings and take those courses and really take them to the next level. So Harvard provides that sort of opportunity for whoever comes to Harvard, and I was, alhamdulillah, blessed to have that opportunity. And that's something that I can never replace in my life. I think it's been one of the most meaningful and most powerful and actually empowering experiences for me. And as a female, it's furthered that because it gives me a sort of an authority in terms of my my education and my knowledge of the subject expertise. Because it's something that I've done over a course of a decade being there. And it's been amazing.
0: I want to um, tap into your first job. So we love to kind of get an idea of your beginnings. What was your first job and what did that teach you?
2: Sure. So my first job was really interesting. I was actually, uh, I had graduated from, um, you know, my undergrad. And I was looking into going into the next phase of my graduate studies and I applied to, again, it was connected to Harvard, to the Mass General Hospital. It's one of the Harvard hospitals based in Boston. And I got uh, in a position of a research executive consultant with the pain clinic there. And I actually started developing a whole strategy with them on how to tackle pain. And it's very interesting, it comes into the sort of long, term my career trajectory is that pain is not just in terms of physical pain, because a lot of people who live lives of chronic pain and have low back pain and osteoarthritis, or shingles, or neuralgia, they are in a constant state of pain where their quality of life is compromised because of the pain. So how do we increase the quantity of life with the quality of life? So we were actually was a research study on how do we impact pain to make it less for individuals and they become more sort of adapt to living a life where they're able to live a better quality of life, not just a quantity of life. So it's a very interesting experience. And when I was there um, at Mass General Hospital and working with Harvard Medical School's team, they were at that time in the midst of developing the HIPAA regulations. And they are regulations that are on patient, you know, consent, patient rights, informed consent. And it was a, one of the first times they were being developed. So I was actually one of the youngest and newest members of the team who helped develop that. So for me, that was one of the most amazing experiences because I was part of these regulations that came in later, but from a very early onset where I was helping actually produce them and write them up as part of my taking in in this job and position was amazing. And this is also where I was inspired to go beyond becoming a physician to working on something that's much more beyond that and working on health caring systems. So this sort of job really shaped my understanding of what I want to do next in life. It was really beautiful. I I enjoyed it a lot. And the people that I came across, one of them, um, I've known now, he's been become a very close mentor of mine. And we stayed connected. And you know, it's been over a decade or more than that. And we're still in touch. And I was still, you know, discuss, you know, career trajectories with him. And it's amazing. It's, it's, it was a really great experience.
0: When did you move to Saudi? And I'm sure you've been seeing there these amazing opportunities that have been created for women. How has mm-hmm. it been witnessing this incredible change recently?
2: So I, I mean, I was born and raised in Saudi. And then I left very early on uh, to start my education. I started education a bit too early. <laughs> I started at the age of 14 in college. So I was quite young and I, I skipped a lot of grades. So when I returned, I returned almost, um, I think in 2016 or so. I was actually coming in every year to, uh, to see family. And maybe we, at that time, I was also consulting uh, as a research consultant. I was helping some centers at the, even before I actually moved back to Saudi. But What I when I had a full time job, and I really moved here was I think 2016, around 2016. And what was amazing was that um, when I had left, um, and I was only 14, I had a lot of people question my parents saying she's single, she's young, she's your daughter. (laughs) She's a female, you know, and you're sending her overseas, you know, for college because she's passionate and whatnot, is that really the right decision? And they're very supportive of that decision. And it's not the norm to send your kids uh, overseas like that at such an early age. But they took that, uh, you know, ambition, and they saw my passion, and they let me go at that time. So when I returned, I just saw a lot of things really, really sort of different than before, I just felt that there was a very different big, huge difference in the way, um, even just sitting in places workplaces and just in cafeterias or just the way people were being now recruited in terms of positions was much more different than i had seen it in the past and there was a much more sort of an agile mindset of trying to have more women in the workplace even my yeah. positioning and me getting on board uh my uh, board as, as an executive leader was very beautiful and you know a fresh you know breath of fresh air for me because it was not something I'd imagined would happen quickly in the past.
0: Um, can you tell me about your time at the World Economic Forum? I feel like that's such a prestigious space to be like working with, invited to. What was that experience like? And, and tell me more about your role in that space.
2: So the World Economic Forum is a space I continue to be in uh, from the past, present, and I hope to be in the future. I think it's one of the most amazing platforms to exchange ideas. And to connect to world leaders where they want to make impact. And my calling is to make a positive impact wherever I go. And this has been a platform where my thought leadership has been taken seriously and actually materialized into a lot of amazing pieces that have been recommendations in the form of recommendations to different groups, such as Women's Health, The Future of Longevity. Health and healthcare and health and well being and I've and the future of technology. So it's been very interesting that I worked as a future, you know, council member and an expert in health in terms of giving my recommendations, uh, attending a lot of workshops, being a speaker on multiple fronts, and then them utilizing sort of uh, my recommendations into actual recommendations that were given to public on what can be done. So it's been amazing. And I've come across some of the most amazing people through the World Economic Forum. And it's a forum where I believe that all ideas are not just, you know, uh, received, but there's a movement to see what can we do with those ideas, and how can we implement them in some way or form, where they can have some impact. And going back to your question on COVID. Actually, when COVID happened, I was part of the COVID task force, not just um, in NEOM at that time, but also part of the World Economic Forum. And at that time, they were talking about what can we do to make the future a better place for work, for women, for health and for healthier living. And it was amazing because the conversations we had at that time are now being practically implemented in different fronts and on different fronts you know, virtual technology has taken a different route that it's never been thought of in the past. So it's a platform that I'm engaged in and I continue to be engaged in, but it's a platform where I'm able to voice my recommendations into practical um, advice and recommendations for people to utilize in any way or form they, they think would be most impactful in their countries or in their entities, in the private and public space.
0: It's no secret that over and over again, we're constantly getting stuck in our careers, which is probably why you're listening to this podcast. You could be stuck or demotivated or uninspired and you don't know who to go to for questions or for connections or someone who's been there, done that, which is why we're building an exciting platform called Playbook. Playbook uses the power of storytelling by game-changing women to help you hack your life, both personally and professionally. We're building a resourceful community where you can find the answers to all your questions from mentors and diverse women that are all trying to figure out the ins and outs of their careers. You can be a part of our story from the very beginning and create and build your legacy with us by becoming a founding member. For a one-time fee of $500, you get a bunch of perks, such as lifetime access to our platform, an official founding member certificate that you can share on LinkedIn, and a testimonial for your LinkedIn page Plus, 20 scholarships in your name to girls and women from different parts of the world who unfortunately don't have access to the education they need. Check out our website, www.getplaybook.com, to learn more about how you can be a founding member of our platform. Um, You've been recognized by some of the most prestigious platforms, such as Forbes, World Leader Awards, and Who's Who in America. What does it mean, winning these like, what does it mean to you to win these awards and to be recognized on international forefronts?
2: First of all, it's very humbling. And I thank God for, you know, being put in this type of p- positioning where I am able to receive such recognition. It's always rewarding to feel appreciated and recognized by such people prestigious platforms. It also further fuels my energy to continue to create more positive impact and touch more lives and create betterment in terms of sustainable living. I, I have a calling. I want to make the world not just a healthier place, but a happier place for people, one that's sustainable and that's doable. It's practical. And we do it in a practicality where it works and it works for everyone with all people included not just um, one particular group of people, but everyone. And so any and every recognition or appreciation adds that fuel of passion to continue to do my work and do it even more better than the previous time and what's what's actually most humbling for me is to receive private messages of support and appreciation from people who have been touched by my work those are the ones I want to even hang on my wall or keep on sort of little tags across my computer when I'm working because they mean the most to me if I've touched one life in everything that I've done so far in my life, and it's impacted that life in a positive manner, then I've I've made something of my career. And that's what my calling is. So any recognition, I think it's important. And I think it's really important specifically for females, young female leaders, as they, they need that encouragement, they need that enforcement, empowerment to continue their work and to do it as much as possible and to continue to touch those lives. So I think these are great, platforms that provide that recognition so people further their ambitions and continue to do what they do but do it even more
0: talk to me a bit more about your work as a writer so we we, you kind of gave us an idea kind of early on about all the different things that you write Um, why is writing so important to you and how do you use it to channel your message
2: so I um, it's interesting (laughs) writing is my hobby So if you were to ask me why I write, I write because it's something I like doing. It's a release, it's cathartic, and it's healthy. Um, Everyone has a hobby. I have multiple hobbies. I do a lot of things in life. Uh, You know, I I like writing poetry. I like singing. I do Zumba. You know, I travel. I'm also a foodie, believe it or not. Um, But uh, something about writing is very special to me because um, if I'm able to get a message across and have impact, not just through my speech, but writing as well, then again, I'm using it to further my goals of improving lives in any and every way possible. And writing is a very big tool in that. So for me, writing is has multiple purposes. While it's a hobby, I also do a lot of thought leadership pieces and I use writing to further my messaging so it reaches everyone. And people are able to benefit through that. I also write a lot of expert pieces in terms of recommendations in terms of health, technology, diversity and inclusion, sustainability. So any recommendations that I do like recently, I talked about green health and why green health is important. It's a subject people, you know, have heard about, but they don't really haven't really gone into the depths of exploring what green health is. People talk about sustainability. But there's so many elements of sustainability that need to be implemented from the health angle, from the food angle that sometimes get missed. So I wrote a piece on that and it was a huge success. People, you know, I had people write comments and then they sent me private messages. They wanted more recommendations of what they can do. Other people told me they never thought about that. And this is something they're going to start working on. So writing become a, becomes a tool on multiple fronts. One is in terms of my own personal well-being it's something that I enjoy doing, and it's very healthy. So it gets me; it keeps me going. The, on the very professional front, it helps further my agenda of bringing those types of uh, topics to the table and for people to utilize them for the benefit of society.
0: Um, tell me more about your writing routine. I'm such a lover of writers and writing processes and dealing with writer's block and finding inspiration. So maybe share with us like what your writing routine is or when are you
2: the most productive like what space do you kind of work from actually have a very um i guess sporadic writing routine i don't have one set routine but i do um write you know well when i'm in a moment of like it's when it's cathartic it's a cathartic moment so when i when covid hit and everyone was very very worried and you know, there was an immediate, um, you know, everyone had to be home. And there was an immediate call for people that can't travel and, you know, people were worried. So I was just sitting on my couch and I, you know, and I just just started writing, you know, I just started writing my thoughts and what's going on and everything. So it was very cathartic for me. And for poetry, for example, poetry can be, um, it can be just instigated by just a, a very beautiful memory Or it could be by just, um, you know, where I'm talking about right now, cake, if I'm right by the ocean or the seaside, seashore, that inspires me to write, it could be just uh, actually coming across someone that reminds me of a memory, and I'll write. Um, So it really depends, you know, even a beautiful um, painting can inspire me to start writing about something. So if I see something really gorgeous, if I see a painting somewhere, and I'm, I love going to museums. So sometimes when I'm in Boston and I go to the Boston you know, MFA or something, the Museum of Fine Arts, I'll just have it to walk around there. I'll see the paintings and, and then I'll come home and I'll sit on my chaise long and I'll just start writing. It could be poetry. It would be something. In terms of science, in terms of my expert pieces, it's just, um, it's, it's just a lot of quietness. So there's no noise around me and I just get inspired and then I just sit and I just think about all the topics in my head that I wanna get across and it just happens. It's sort of magic on paper, it's so exciting and it's such a fun personal part of my living is It's that pen you know or sometimes it's my phone it's notes it's voice notes it's everything you know people think i have like a little diary or something i don't sometimes i just leave voice notes to my own self and sometimes it's my computer it's my laptop it's my you know my phone it's a little a notebook i have by my bedside it could be anything and everything it could be in the car and if i think of something it could be a piece of paper and i'll just write it so it's really um it has a mind of its own, my writing. It comes, and then when it comes, it comes with, uh, you know, a lot of force. And, but I don't force it on me. When it comes, it comes naturally, and then it comes. And otherwise, I just let it be till the inspiration happens again. Uh, what are some of your favorite writers? You know, it's interesting. I, do, I don't have any one favorite writer. I do have a favorite poet. And while that po- po- the favorite poet, you know, many, is on a, on a very Sufi side, But I talk about Rumi, and Rumi's poetry, uh, for many, is very romantic. And uh, for others, it's very spiritual. And what the essence that I get from his writing or his poetry or his pieces is that um, his writing has a different meaning to every single individual that reads it. And that's what I want to get out of my writing. So he inspires me because a lot of my writing has a spiritual context to it. So for example, green health might be green health for somebody. But for me, I'm a viceroy on this Earth. I want to help uh, this planet. And for me, green health is much more of a deeper subject than just fixing um, you know, sustainability. It's about protecting our Earth. So maybe from my eyes, it might be a much more in-depth level of looking at how, what my responsibility as a human being is on this planet. And for someone else, it would be a practical approach to how we tackle, you know, green health, because, you know, the world is being impacted by global warming. So what I like about his writing is that it has so many dimensions of understanding for people who read it. And for me, it's the same thing is I hope that my writing is not just for me and what I take from it. But if you read it, you'll understand it the way you are in your situation. And it might touch you in a different way that I might not have thought of. So the pen can be one person's, but the story becomes the others. Whoever reads it, it becomes their story. And that's what's inspirational for me is to have that impact through my writing and actually through my speeches or talks and whatnot is that it touches each individual in their own way. And that's what I hope to do with my writing and my work and my career actually.
0: What are some of your other hobbies or interests outside of work?
2: Oh, I have I have many. So I, I mentioned some of them. I like working out a lot, uh, but working out is not the typical working out uh, to lose weight or whatnot. I like Zumba and dancing. It's something that I do personally because it just is a lot of release. It's sort of like writing. So I think it's creative for me. So I do like uh, cardio Zumba, Afrobeat Zumba and different types of Zumbas. But what Zumba does for me is it gets me upbeat to start the day or to start off to an event or something. And so it, it's uh, it's a lot of uh, it's great music, it's great dancing, and it's happiness. So I like to have the the sort of the implications of health to be in everything that I do. So he- happiness is a very big part of being healthy. And I think like I, I I used to do I used to do a lot of running before, but I sort of translated that into Zumba with my schedule now of traveling and the likes. And it could be just 15 minutes of dancing and it'll get me in a very upbeat mode to either write, do a speech, talk. Right before this discussion that we're having, I just finished my Afrobeat Zumba for the day and it was a lot of fun. Uh, Other than that, I also like singing, believe it or not. I used to sing a lot um, solos when I used to go to the American school in Saudi here. I used to sing solo and I love singing even now, but I do it more on a personal level if I'm driving or with friends or whatnot. So that's something that I enjoy doing. I like I love writing poetry uh, personally uh, for myself and for my sort of experiences. Some is private, some is public. I love traveling to different countries. I have a I'm a nature buff, so I love anything and everything that's green. And to be around nature is very inspirational for me to write and to, you know, to reflect. Contemplation is a very big part of my life, and I contemplate about everything. So nature provides me that platform to do so. I also love food a lot. I'm a foodie, but a foodie in a very different sense. I'm a presbyterian. I don't eat that much meat. I do become a meat eater for my two Eids when they come in. So for Eid, I'm going to be eating my meat. But other than that, I enjoy food on finding out how I can make it healthy, but really delicious. So I have all these really cool food coaches that are friends. And we talk about the most interesting vegan dishes that we can create together. And I have a lot of fun with that. So my personal life has a lot of my applications of my health and well-being that I try to put into it, but with a little bit of more zest. And I enjoy that a lot. I enjoy my friends' companies. People really provide me that energy. I love people and I love meeting new people. So that is always something that drives me further in my energy, both on my personal and private life and my professional life as well. What do you consider to be your biggest achievement in life? So that's a very deep question. Uh, I guess on a career level, I think um, getting to where I am today as a young female global health leader And as a trusted figure in the, you know, space of health, well-being and biotech is something that I'm uh, very grateful for and humbled and thankful for and proud of. Um, It's something I hope to continue to move forward in, inshallah, and, you know, take it to another level. So coming to a point in my life now where I've achieved the education, which has been very multifaceted, and at the same time, achieving a recognition of being a global health leader, where my opinion, my my thought leadership pieces are actually taken into consideration when decisions are being made, is to have accomplished a very big element in my life. There's much more to be done, um, and much more to be done, and I'm looking forward to what needs to be done. But at least at this point in life, I'm very happy where I am today. Alhamdulillah, I am very grateful that I've had those opportunities, those connections, those platforms where I've been able to move ahead, And it's not been an easy journey. And no female or no male, no one has an easy journey. Everyone goes through a lot of struggles where they are today. We can never judge a person's success just from the success. There's a lot of hard work, a lot of struggles, a lot of tears behind it all. But to have achieved a place where I'm seen as a trusted authority and an expert in a field is a big win. And I'm very grateful for that.
0: Do you ever feel like everybody around you has things figured out when it comes to their career, except for you? Do you look at successful people and want to figure out how do they make a living doing what they love? Do you ever feel like what you're learning in school and university is not what you see yourself doing? Welcome to Playbook, where we're trying to change the dynamic and reinvent career progression for women. We want to be with you every step of the way as you navigate the challenges in your journey. We're building a platform that gives you a community and content That also uses the power of storytelling through shared experiences by game-changing women who've shattered the glass ceiling. Join our waiting list and be the first to know when the platform goes live. Get on get-playbook.com to sign up to our newsletter and be the first to pilot our new technology. What are you working on next? Tell us about some of your exciting new ventures.
2: So there's a lot going on in terms of ventures. I've become a sort of a healthcare diplomat and I do a lot of uh, senior advisory work in multiple entities. What that provides me now is an open space to use my experience and use my authority as a trusted advisor to bring impact in each and every single entity as of now. So it's not just work that needs to be done which will create amazing impact in the future. That's there for, for sure. But now it's also about what are the immediate impacts that we can do, that we can change lives, and we can make this place a better place for living. And when I say living, I talk about quality of life, health, and well being, and in terms of mental well being, and as well as the space of diversity and inclusion. And it's, it's a lot of uh, interesting work where I'm connecting to people, not just locally in Saudi, but also globally. And we're all working together with the same purpose of bringing betterment for society and social and positive impact. So it's a lot of fun. And what gives me space is it gives me the space to really move around and to discover and explore to another level. Many people do this uh, when they're in their 60s or 70s. So I'm very grateful that I have this opportunity as such a young age and at such an early point in my life so it gives me the opportunity to see what needs to be done where where is it most impactful and what is most useful so i can actually take that to the next step how do you deal with failure i don't believe that failure is is actually a word i think it's a relative it's a relative word i think it's an it's an experience and i think as everything it's a learning experience to reflect and improve further uh, in, in terms of opportunities, it gives in a person an opportunity to grow further. So it's an opportunity for growth, uh, further learning, further enhancing, further excellence. Spiritually, the light enters where the wound is. So when it gives an opportunity to get close to your goals because it makes you reflect further. So failure, I don't believe that failure is actually something that happens. It's something that you've done. And it didn't work out at that time. But there's a purpose for why it didn't work out. And then we discover that purpose later in our lives. But what it does do is that it helps to encourage us to reflect further and to further improve ourselves where we are. And it becomes a learning experience. And I think um, as a message to a lot of females uh, uh, and males who are listening to this podcast is that they should never think they failed in anything one of the worst things to do is not to try something one of the best things to do is even if you've tried it and didn't work out then at least we can say we've tried it and we know that there's some other calling for us so failure is relative it's a learning experience and it's where the growth happens and spiritually it's where the light enters so it's an opportunity for their growth and for me it's it's a, a, a time of a lot of reflection and like I said, it's contemplation is a very big part of my life. So it further encourages me to improve whatever I need to improve and to see how I can take that learning experience and utilize it for the betterment of society in another way or form or further enhance whatever wasn't there in the first place. So it, it's a lot of self-improvement, self-encouragement, uh, self-time that helps to take it to the next level. Um, what do you believe Malik has your superpower? we always discuss this amongst our friends so i will say what i'll tell you what my friends think and i'll tell you what i think uh i think i have uh, one superpower and it's empathy i'm able to understand other people and help them achieve their goals without it em- impacting me to the point where i come to compassion fatigue i don't let that happen to me but i take it to the next level but what I've been told, and I when I reflect on it, I think those are the three qualities that come up is empathy, optimism, and agility. Those are the three elements I think I take and I can combine them. And it really, really does a lot of magic. Agility is so important in this day and age. It helped me through COVID. It's adaptability to whatever situation comes my way. And it helps me further my goals. Then. If it doesn't work out this way, let's work it out another way. If, you know... Be it with personal relationships, professional relationships, uh, personal endeavors, professional endeavors, agility is key. It helps things moving and keep moving forward. Optimism is a must for me in my life because without hope, we cannot move forward. And empathy is something that it reflects the depth of what I feel about people is that I want to be there for others. And that has been my calling and has been my calling since I was a young kid. And that's been my calling for the future. And empathetic leadership is what actually fared the most well in the situation of COVID. And in terms of leadership, it's become a very important trait. And that's something I I define as my superpower. But with others' opinions chiming in on what my superpower is, it's empathy, optimism, and agility.
0: What do you feel are some of the technological advancements or some of the exciting things in the healthcare sector? Like what, what is happening in that space? for, And like, obviously, we're not all into the space or we don't necessarily understand it. But if you can give us like a little executive summary or like a breakdown of what's happening
2: in the healthcare space I, and yeah.
0: when it comes to like technological advancements as well.
2: You know, it's it's very important to understand that healthcare and Health itself is evolving every single day. And it's so amazing to see this evolution and revolution within the space of healthcare is that people no longer want to be specific to what healthcare is now. It's about from cradle to grave. It's about creating the patient pathways or person pathways, where people have become more empowered by taking care of themselves on the within their own sides you know from they have to be completely informed about what's going on with them so the person empowerment that now healthcare technology place on people is another new level and this includes virtual care digital twins you know uh, devices within our own homes that help us shape a healthcare in a way where we're able to take health into our own hands. So we don't want to be in a place where we're uh, in the unknown and don't know what's going on with us. And healthcare is understanding that healthcare is phys- you know all the stakeholders involved want the person or patient or the family to be fully informed and fully empowered by what is going on and how they can play a role of improving their own lives. So healthcare has really developed further, and you know biotechnology and uh, organic farming and virtual technology, and humanism in health, and humanism in technology all are playing a huge role in revolutionizing the way the care pathway works. And what the most amazing thing that I think would happen is when all stakeholders will be aligned in one with one purpose of making it an improved, you know, becoming an improved way of living for all involved, all parties, that the patients feel that they are completely empowered, and that they have a control of their health from their homes from the cradle to the grave. So not just within this, you know, system of care they experience in the hospital, but it goes beyond that and for their future generations. For the physicians, the physicians sometimes get overlooked because we sometimes talk about patients, but you have seen that um, through COVID and others that physicians experience a lot of compassion fatigue and they have, you know, a lot of burnouts that we've experienced physicians to see through, you know, their work. So how do you actually make it uh, sustainable for them? So when you make it as a value-cared system where everyone is being catered to and sustainable, you've achieved it. technology will help that. Technology will not remove the humans in the space, but technology will create more time in the healthcare space for physicians to focus on their patients, the patients to feel more informed and more involved in their processes. And technology will make it more convenient and sustainable for patients and the physicians to have better relationships so that the unnecessary work that's created, uh, you know, that can be streamlined through digital technology. And that's, that's why technology will play a very big role. And it's how you use technology. And that's what I always talk about is technology is how you use it. And we want to humanize technology. So it's used for the betterment of relationships between physicians, patients and the hospitals.
0: Tell us about your work with Neom. Obviously, Neom is one of the most fascinating projects on earth right now. It's just attracting a lot of press coverage. But tell me what your time was like working with them? And what did you learn?
2: NEOM has been an amazing experience for me. I was initially the executive director for all strategic partnerships. Then I became the executive director for health, well-being, and biotech. So essentially, I helped create a strategy of health, well-being like never before, getting experiences from traveling to over nine to 12 countries, actually, at that time. Learning from their uh, experiences of what worked well and what didn't and bringing it all together to develop a collage of experiences of what works best to create a new health and well-being system that will focus on patients. So when you were asking me about what technology does for people, it's really taking experiences from the legacy systems that uh, that are available in the world today learning from them and taking their bits to create something that has never been created before. So to create a new system of living where technology plays a role in your life but it doesn't take over your life And that has been the most meaningful part for me uh, within that experience is to be able to create a system where I'm able to bring in well-being uh, health, and biotechnology and technology itself together in a space where it's a quality of living where all elements of mental, physical, emotional, spiritual well-being are catered to and covered. So that has been very important for me. And I've taken that to different levels, to the World Economic Forum, to my other places, the V20, Values 20 Forum of the G20 Presidency. I've taken it to the senior advisory work I do now. It's a lot of learnings, from a lot of traveling and a lot of uh, my experiences at Harvard and bringing it all together in one space to create something that hasn't been created before. So it's been a fabulous experience and it's t- it's taken me to further levels of um, opportunities where I am today and I am so grateful to have had such amazing opportunities of growth. And now taking these experiences, I'm in a position to actually recommend some of these policies to governments through the G20 pre- presidency, which is an amazing opportunity for me. So for me, each experience of career that I've had so far has taken me to the next route of my building. Sort of like my work, uh, my career in at Harvard. You know, I thought I was gonna be a physician only and, and I turned out to be a healthcare system designs leader where I'm creating healthcare systems and become a healthcare diplomat, which I've never thought would happen. It kept evolving and evolving. S- similarly, my career path has taken me into different places where they keep evolving and makes me realize there's much more to be done further. And it takes me to the next level.
0: From a personal perspective, like, so we talked about kind of what it, what's next for you from a career perspective, but from a personal one, what are you kind of looking forward towards? What are you planning for?
2: So what's next for me is love. <laughs> I think I've given so much love to people and I'm ready to receive some love and start a more deeper personal aspect of my life. I'm finally ready to settle down. I'm still single, by the way, but I am ready to settle down and finally ready to settle down. And it's something I'm looking forward to. And I think it's a very important part of everyone's life is to have a perfect you know, balance of work and personal per, personal and professional life. And so when you say what's next for me, it's love. I want, um, I'm looking forward to receiving it from the right person. And I, after giving it to so many people around the world, and I continue to do so professionally on a personal level, I'd love to have that personal element of my life formalized as well. And I think I'm finally ready for it. It's been so, um, there's been so much going on with COVID and work and the likes but it's also made me reflect on how I'd like to start my personal part of my life as well.
0: That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to an episode of the Woman Power Podcast. And thank you for downloading and streaming our podcast every week. If you love what you've heard, tag us on Instagram and follow the Woman Power Podcast and Woman Power Summit account for more information on our next episode. Please leave a rating review wherever you get your podcast It really helps other women discover the show. That's it for me. See you next week.